Hello and welcome to Breaking Social. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. In this episode, we're excited to be speaking to Ashita Cabra. Ashita is an ex-investment analyst and the founder of BuyRotation, an app whereby users can rent out their clothes or rent somebody else's for a daily fee. The demand for sustainable clothing is on an upward trajectory, and BuyRotation ensures that you don't have to break the bank, feed into mass consumption, or compromise on quality in order to wear a new outfit. We speak to Ashita about her reasons for starting her business, how she acquired her initial base of rotators on the app, and how her marketing strategy not only drives users, but encourages behavioural change in the way we purchase clothes. All right, thank you so much for joining us, Ashita. I wanted to start off by giving you the opportunity for those who don't know to introduce us to Buy Rotation, which is your platform now. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that platform? Yeah, sure. So Buy Rotation is the world's first social network where you can lend and rent designer fashion with each other. So you can save money, you can make money, um, you can save the planet one rental at a time. And you can look great and also make new friends. So a lot of reasons to do it, basically. And so what inspired you to start by rotation? It came from a very first world problem. So I was planning my honeymoon. I was going back to the desert of Rajasthan. That's where I was born. And I was thinking, wow, I'd, I, you know, I'd love to go to all these amazing places, these palaces, these hotels, um, you know, all these nice restaurants and towns and villages. And I turned to Instagram for inspiration to, you know, figure out my itinerary. And I saw all these women in incredible dresses, you know, incredible clothes on these holidays to the desert. And I thought, wow, I'd love to dress really well as well for this trip of a lifetime. And that's when I started thinking about how, wow, I'd love to rent, you know, the, these beautiful designer dresses because some of them are costing 800 pounds, 1,000 pounds, which is crazy for like just a dress, right? And just for like a trip. Mm. Um, and that's when I started sort of researching the fashion rental landscape. So, you know, in China, you have Y Closet. In the US, you have Rent the Runway, which recently IPO'd. And in Singapore, where I grew up, you have Style Theory. And one of the things that became very common in, you know, in researching all these existing rental platforms was that all of them are very inventory heavy. So, you know, they all bought stock. They all had warehouses. You know, they all talked about dry cleaning and I thought, that's not actually what I want to do. You know, I just want to borrow this dress from this woman who's already been to the desert and I haven't seen her wearing this dress on her Instagram feed for forever. Um, I'd love to just pay her, reach out to her uh, and because I love her style and I think we're the same size. So that's when the idea sort of came about and I started researching it further and then yeah, and, and, and then when I came back from my honeymoon, I actually founded Rotation, incorporated it alongside my full-time job working in finance. And yeah, so for the first six months, it was a side hustle. And then in October 2019, I took the plunge. And ever since then, I've been full-time on Rotation. And you mentioned that you were working in finance at the time when you founded. And I was interested just from a kind of business standpoint is... Were there things that you were noticing about the market and the direction of the market that made you feel that it was the right time for a platform like BuyRotation to come into existence? Yeah, I think, you know, I probably come from like not a very early adopter sort of network of friends. You know, we're all the, the mainstream people and, you know, we work in the city. So it's all the bankers, the lawyers, all these sort of corporate kind of people. And so we always pick up trends much after, um, you know, all the cool other people. And that's when I start realizing that if I'm already thinking about it and I'm seeing it on the way to work, you know, when I take the bus, 
I was going past the Extinction Rebellion rallies um, on Hyde Park. And that's when I thought it's actually becoming a huge movement. And I think it's here to stay. And now I'm thinking about it. And it's something that I wouldn't necessarily otherwise have engaged with. And then I start researching into the fashion industry and realizing that it's actually the third most polluting industry in the world, which, which is shocking because it overtakes maritime and aviation combined. So much more than travel, which sounds crazy. But if you think about it, we are all wearing clothes every day. Um, some of us are shopping every week, maybe even every other day. I think there's a stat out there that um, Brits are shopping about five, no, they're buying about five times the amount of new clothing versus their European counterparts like the Italians and the French. And I think, you know, I see that around me and I think it kind of makes sense with all these sort of fast fashion brands selling you, you know, t-shirts and jeans for like one pound or 10 pounds. And I think that's when I kind of realized that we've got concepts like the sharing economy, you know, it, when, when it comes to renting people's cars or their apartments you know, why, why can't we do that with designer clothes that are even lower risk, if you think about it? So, you know, the average item that's being rented on our platform, it's usually a dress and it's worth about 500 pounds in retail value. I mean, you know, the risk of, uh, of something happening to that versus renting someone's car or house or apartment is, is way lower. So it sort of just made sense. And I think now that we've been around for two and a half years, you know, and, and some of our top lenders are making over 2000 pounds a month. Uh, and, you know, these aren't fashion influencers or oh. stylists or celebrities or whatever. They're average working professional women who are just, you know, who just have amazing style that they're monetizing. And I think this has really kind of showed me that, you know, that this, this movement is here to stay. And, and fashion, you know, contemporary and designer fashion has become an asset class of its own. And, and I'm now thinking about it as an ex-investment analyst, of course. I agree. I, I, I do think that that movement is here to stay now. And I, you know, I downloaded the app and I had a had a look around, and you can see immediately where the appeal is. You know, some of the clothes that you might be able to, um, maybe less me personally from a from a male perspective. Um, well, mean, actually, we have a we have a menswear category, so you guys have to list your stuff on there. Yeah. we are trying to build it out. <laughs> um, I, I noticed. I could see straight away what the appeal would be. A lot of that appeal is down to the fact that there is almost a lot of evidence that this is already being done. You can see um, the vast amount of products on there. You can see that um, lending and, and, and renting is already being done there. How did you manage to get an initial user base to trust the platform, to be able to l put their own clothes on there and trust that they can lend it out and rent it out to people and, and the clothes are going to be returned and that they will actually get paid? Because I imagine for an app in its infancy that is proposing, you know, basically lending out your own clothes and the promise of payment might be something that, feel quite risky. So how did you initially garner that initial user base? Yeah, I think it's sort of similar to the Vestiaire Collective story. I think the story is they had about eight or 10 co-founders and all of them were a group of friends, you know, and they were getting their friends and their friends of friends to start listing items on their resale platform. Um, and it was sort of a very similar situation to me, although I'm the only founder, so we don't have many other co-founders. You know, I, I begged my friends and people in my network to, uh, to try out the test platform that I had created over a weekend and say, you know, can you just try listing items and see if there's going to be any interest to rent them? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was very, very grassroots. And I think, I still think we are, we continue to be very grassroots. You know, of course, we do a bit of performance marketing um, and we have some ad spend behind it. 
But I think most of the way that we've been acquiring users and customers and listers or you know, lenders and renters is, is really word of mouth because people need to see it to believe it. It is very much a new concept. And um, one of the other questions I had was actually, because I would love to, in a moment, get into the into the details of you know, how, how are you marketing right now so that we can really dig into that. But obviously, from a, if you're growing from a grassroots, well, it's a grassroots strategy early on, how did that affect or did it affect your initial demographic on the platform? I know you mentioned that obviously there's, there might be quite a lot more females than males, even though you do have a male catalog on the platform. Do you think that that approach has, has affected the demographic or is that skew something that you'd predict? Is that the way that it's going as well? Do you see any interesting trends on the platform for the demographic growth? Yeah, um, it's interesting because when I first sort of um, found it and, you know, again, I was asking people in my network, which is, as I mentioned, you know, they're not the early adopters. They're actually the mainstream audience, you know, all these corporate working women. And, you know, I was sort of convincing them to let me take street style photos of them with my iPhone. And we were doing, you know, the, the main, I would say, marketing strategy that we had, even I'm not even sure if it was a strategy back then. It was just how I wanted um, our brand and community to grow was really user generated content to show women like like you, like me, mm. like you know ourselves um, that you could really identify with rather than glossy photo shoots, because people need to see that there are actually lenders and renters on the app. So we had this big focus, um, well, when I say we, I mean me, because I was the only person who was doing this back then. So the focus was really on um, enlisting just uh, my friends and everyone to have this sort of strategy. And I think that actually really helped us because we set ourselves apart from other fashion brands who all have like studio photo shoots and, you know, and they have like models that don't look like you either. So originally, you know, it was this woman who, you know, because she was from my network or like, you know, my friend of a friend and she was this corporate working professional who's not really an early adopter. You know, she's got a private profile on Instagram. She doesn't really want to be posted by a brand or a company on the feed because she likes her privacy. So it was originally that. And then I realized that we're going to we're going to actually have to go after this early adopter. You know, these fashion insiders, these influencers, these journalists who will be really happy and proud to talk about how they tried out this new fashion rental platform and how it's very different and very cool. So I would say we did actually see a shift in the user persona. And, and now we've come back you know, two and a half years later. I think brand awareness for us is at an all-time high. Of course, there's a lot we can do. You know, we're only two and a half years old. There's a lot of you know, country, a lot of towns and counties, even within the UK, that probably haven't heard of Byrotation yet. So we will get to them. But I do think that within London, at least, the brand awareness is very high. So we've got all the early adopters that we need to. And we want to cross the chasm and now get back into the mind of these mainstream um, shoppers who are on Oxford Street, not realizing that there is an alternative to fast fashion. Buying secondhand is definitely on the increase. I think there's more people that are buying things that are going to last in their wardrobe. And I think there is... A movement or at least a divide happening between people that shop at fast fashion brands and people that are shopping vintage that want things that are going to last do you think the same is going to happen with renting do you think there's going to be the same now that it's becoming more available do you think there's going to be the same kind of thing and movement towards renting happening i know that you've recently launched resale so that people can buy in your platform as well was this always part of the plan or did you did you move that way just because you saw more people buying uh, secondhand yeah, um, I, I mean, resale is definitely a much more mature, you know, market. 
And I think it's going to continue to grow. It's not just women who are using it. And it's actually not even just millennials. It's actually even Gen Z. You know, there's this article recently, I think it came out on BOF yesterday, about how um, there are some TikTokers in the US who are setting up their own um, vintage stores, like physical vintage stores, which is super interesting because when I was young, when I was the age of what a Gen Z is at the moment, you know, I probably always wanted new clothes, you know, and I wanted new toys. And I, I wanted, you know, I wanted to take it out of a paper bag and it was just made for me. Um, and I think that's really interesting how um, everyone's mindset is definitely shifting. I think with the rental side of things, it's definitely still a new concept, but I think the sharing economy is not something that people aren't aware of. Uh, it's new that in the sense that it's coming to the fashion industry. I do think, however, you know, with, with us sort of doing resale, which was a new feature that we launched at the beginning of the year, it was more to be able to uh, offer that as an additional option for our verified lenders. So the way that we did it, it was more you have to already be someone who's used the app a lot and then you have an option to be able to also offer it for resale. And the reason we did that was because um, quite a few of our top lenders were receiving requests from women who had rented their pieces asking would they be willing to sell it because they really enjoyed wearing it and now they're sad to part away with the dress or the bag. So it was really an option and it was to ensure that transactions stay within the app and they don't go to other resale platforms uh, or, or, or you know, via other payment methods or something like that. So yeah, I think for us, it's not, it's not a huge focus. You know, it's, it's been built into our financial model with a very, I would say, small percentage in terms of, um, you know, how much it's going to contribute to our revenues. Uh, we're still very much, you know, all about peer-to-peer -peer sharing and rental. And that's great because when you're renting items as well, you don't have churn when it comes to listings. If you think about resale platforms, if something's sold, you know, you, you need to find new items to replace those listings that have been sold. Like it's great things got sold and you made your commission, but now you need to replace the supply. Does that change as trends move? Because I think you've made a good point there where, you know, if, if you sell stock, you would then have to replenish to be able to make sure that there's something there for people still to, to buy. But given that the, the items on the platform like you said, what, if they're getting rented all the time, then that, they're still going to, going to be there for the people to rent. Do trends command which products are being rented the most? And what how, what does that mean for that issue that you mentioned there around, you know, the products that are basically still going to be sat on, on, on the platform? Yeah, I, I think that's the great thing about being a fully peer-to-peer -peer rental platform. And, you know, we're the only ones who are doing this um, in our segment. And um, it's really interesting because, you know, it doesn't matter if you listed like a feather outfit and feathers are trending during Christmas time because it's, you know, velvet and feather and it's, it's all very Christmassy and festive and maybe no one wants to wear feathers in summer. It doesn't matter to us because it belongs in someone's wardrobe. Mm. Um, what's really cool, though, is the way that we've built the app, which is a social network. You know, we've been dubbed as the Instagram of fashion rental. So what happens is that it's very democratic. You know, it's based, you know, you know things that would be trending and that would be shown to you on the app would be based on, things that have the most likes and that have the most saves, therefore have the most rentals as well. It, rather than, you know, we curating and selecting like a fashion buyer would do or like a fashion journalist would do uh, as to what is popular. So we're not pushing things to people. We're letting our users decide what's cool and what's not. So they are setting the trends, really. I think one of the things that I find really interesting about rental and exciting about rental is that it almost addresses some of the pressures that 
platforms like social media, like TikTok or like Instagram can put on constantly wearing something new every time you post. And I think the fast fashion industry developed so quickly because it was almost like a call and response for a desire to wear things that were new without breaking the bank. And fast fashion brands responded to that by trying to reproduce clothes that look good for less. And that's obviously resulted in the increase in pollution because the to save costs, you have to you know, reduce quality of materials or think something like that. You have to cut corners somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But with renting clothes, you're almost solving the exact same problem where people can constantly wear something new, but that can be of much higher end, but it's not breaking the bank because you're not actually buying the piece. You're just borrowing it for, like if you are an Instagram influencer, for example, you're borrowing it for one specific post for example, or if you're not, one specific date or one specific event, and then you can give it back to a user. And it's also happening peer to peer. So I find renting a really exciting sort of way of addressing that issue. So I wanted to, have you sort of seen that through social media and you've, have you found those pressures from, from Instagram and TikTok and platforms like that? Yeah, um, and, and, and there's definitely a lot of, you know, influencers, even I want to say like celebrities talking about how, you know, whenever they're wearing something, especially elaborate, it's actually always loaned anyway to them from the stylist or the brand, you know, and, and they always return it. So why shouldn't that be an option to everyone else, you know, just because we're not celebrities or influencers or whatever. And I think what we've done, um, again, to make, you know, designer, contemporary, high quality fashion much more inclusive uh, and accessible is by, you know, ensuring that you can you can rent these pieces for 10 to 15 percent of their retail price for a weekend it's so great it's basically the same or even cheaper sometimes than buying fast fashion brands um, outright so you could wear like a 500 pound dress for 40 pounds or 50 pounds for the weekend you know and instead of buying the knockoff version from one of these high street labels um, that are anyway you know stinging on quality and and the thing is you know a lot of these items that you do end up buying from these fast fashion brands, I, I think there's a statistic about how 90% of whatever you donate anyway ends up going to the landfill. So you think you're doing something good, but really you're not. You're just trying to get rid of it, let's be honest. Uh, and that's what the charity shops do as well. And I think you know a lot of people, when they do shop fast fashion, not everyone, but I think a lot of people who, who are trying to dress new and they're shopping fast fashion, they do end up you know taking their photo after they've worn the outfit and then they get rid of the outfit because they're done with it. And there's obviously, of course, social media is bad because there's a lot of um, pressure to always have something new happening in your life or wearing something new or going to a new restaurant, you know, new, new, new all the time. And I think that's where by rotation, you know, presents an alternative, which is you can still have a new experience. You can still wear something new, but it doesn't need to be a completely new product just made for you. Just following on from from that, you said at the, at the beginning of the platform you marketed a lot. It was a grassroots approach. You know, you were, you were relying on peer to peer, and then you started to work with, or at least you know, speak to influencers who, because they'd be able to openly speak about this platform that they'd used. Has that changed? Have you deployed new marketing techniques at all? Yeah, I think since then, you know, we've started experimenting with performance marketing. Uh, it's been mostly Instagram ads. And again, but the way that we do Instagram ads as well, it seems very much like it sits within, you know, when you're scrolling on your feed, it looks like you were anyway following the account. It doesn't look like an ad. Again, it's very, very big on user-generated content. That's still what we do. We haven't put any budget towards 
photo shoots and glossy ads and models and you know all that sort of stuff. For us, it's really about actually customer reviews and turning them into ads. And that's what converts really well. We, we know that even just looking at the landscape, because we do obviously monitor data and analytics and our performance versus others. That's really interesting because that's actually a lot of what we work on with our clients. I think what we've found, especially on TikTok over the past two years, is that, that the content that feels more native, the content that feels like it's something that you would want to watch anyway or leads with value that you'd naturally want to consume anyway, are the things that are, from a performance perspective, working the best. On that topic, you mentioned before that you know the, the platform almost has this like dual benefit. It's like a win-win where for the users, they're getting this benefit of if you're someone putting your clothes on the platform, you're able to generate an income from, from that. If you're somebody who is looking to get new clothes but might not want to have that financial expenditure and now has a way of being able to rent these and and rent these pieces and wear them and maybe it's for a certain event or it's for an Instagram post whatever it might be you can do that for a lower cost uh, but the the other big impact is obviously environmental the fact that it, it isn't contributing to landfills it actually poses quite a good solution out of those two benefits what do you lead with in marketing? Which one do you lean into more? Which is, I, I find quite an interesting one because I imagine there's quite a lot of you know people who are conscious of the environment but realistically might be using the app for the financial incentives. Um, so I'd be interested to see what your take is on that. Yeah, um, it's, it's so interesting. And I think for me, there's definitely like a gut feeling to it and, and it's been proven right because I suppose I'm the user persona that we're going after, you know, the working professional female. And actually, there was a paper that came out recently we, we saw that we were mentioned in. So the, the, the title of the paper, and it was like an American university that had published it, uh, was um, Swapping and Sharing of Clothes Amongst Women, you know, mapped alongside Maslow's need hierarchy theory. And it was super interesting because they talked about, you know, all these different levels, right? And, and like the basic one is obviously saving money. And then right at the top, I didn't know this, by the way, but there's apparently a new level there's another level after aspirational, which is transcendence or something like that, which is like ultimate, ultimate. And that in that they had put in the sustainability thing, like the woman wants to be sustainable. She wants to change. She wants to be better for the world, you know, and, and she wants to talk about how she is making those changes. So I think the basic thing, and especially because it is still a new movement, I think the thing that we have to lead with and that we do lead with is the fact that, you know, there's a financial benefit to it. You can wear designer clothing for 10% of the retail price. And you can make money. You can make thousands of pounds per month by monetizing about, you know, 50 items in your clothing that are anyway hanging in your wardrobe. And how is your marketing strategy broken out for that? So how do you best reach new customers? How are you finding either new customers or new people to rent clothing on the platform? Are you using social much? Do you use other platforms? What does your media mix look like? God, um, you know what? Everything is very scrappy at the moment. I think maybe there's this view that, you know, Byrotation's so big, it's so well known. Um, but, you know, we, we are still a four-person team, you know? And I'm the only full-time employee, technically wow. speaking, right? And, and I think people don't realize that because they see lots of followers on Instagram and, and, you know, we have lots of users on the app and we have amazing ratings on App Store and all of that. But actually, we're, we're very, very small or very lean. I'm very proud of that, actually. So, so we've been kind of making it along the way, essentially, our marketing. And the money that we spend, and we don't spend a lot, has gone mostly predominantly into Instagram ads and then in-person activations like our pop-up store. 
So we have a pop-up store in Marlebone and we do a lot of community events there. And I know everyone's talking about community a lot. It's become like this new buzzword. But for us, it's always been the main thing because we are a peer-to-peer marketplace. You know, we're just as good as our community. Um, If our community is not great, you know, if it's low quality, if it's not engaged, then no transactions are happening. So for us, it's really, really about those people. So I would say that's probably where we spend most of our budget. And when it comes to like tracking performance, again, it's been very, very scrappy. And I'm sure I have a lot to learn from you guys on that, um, on on what we should be doing, in fact, because now we've closed our seed funding round and we'll be deploying more capital on the marketing front. Sure. And out of interest, I think you touched on something there that you're right. It does seem like it's a bit of a trending word, community, um, but it is something that's really, really important. And um, once it's done right, is incredibly powerful. What are your efforts looking like to, to foster that community? You know, what what do you find is most important to your current users, and, and how are you fostering that community overall? Yeah, I think people actually do love meeting in person, especially after the very lonely, you know, eighteen months that we've had in lockdowns. Um, and people want to meet new people as well. And, you know, they see all these women on the app and they're like, oh, she looks so cool. I'd love to know what she's actually like in real life. And also if she's my size, because mm. then I will definitely rent from her. And we have a lot of repeat renters. You know, women end up finding this style match on the app because it's like Instagram. So you can follow each other and they repeat rent from the same woman over and over again because... It was great the first time. The fit was great. You know, the service was great. The return was easy, all of that stuff. So I think that's one of the things that we've noticed our community really enjoys. They also love a lot of, um, they love styling ideas from us. So content, you know, via our email newsletters and our journal posts and our Instagram stories. It's, it's interesting because I think maybe I'm not, I probably wouldn't really care about this stuff. But again, I'm not, I'm no longer the only woman who's using this app, Right. Uh, we, that, that ship has sailed ages ago. And it's just really interesting to know that, you know, it seems like women do want to be told this is cool and this is trending and this is hot and you could pair pink and green together and it looks great. You know, it's the summer trend to wear pink and green together. So I found that very interesting. And my last question was actually going to be around, but you've almost answered it there, was why it was important to make the app not just a kind of peer-to-peer selling platform like an eBay, for example, but an actual social network. And you have answered it in parts in the, in your last answer, but I don't know if you wanted to expand on that at all and, and why it is that you wanted to turn it into something more social. Yeah, I think the idea was sort of there in my head, but I never was able to uh, put it into words. I could, I never figured out that, yeah, I want to make a social network. It, it, it didn't come, I, I thought, oh, it's just a fashion platform. It's a fashion rental platform. But actually, really, it's so much more than that. And I think, you know, we started seeing women, because people were repeat renting from the same user over and over again, we were like, we should introduce these features where they can, you know, keep a track of these women that they're building relationships with anyway, because fashion is very personal. I think it, it, it's probably way more personal than getting into someone's Uber. And, and, and you know, you're not, you're not bothered if the same Uber driver comes and picks you up from even if you're going to your work and home, the same, you know, the same journey every day, you don't care if you get the same Uber driver. Whereas with fashion, it's pretty personal. You know, you want someone to take care of your stuff. You want to know what the woman who's wearing your shoes literally is like. And I think, you, you, you know, you need to have that sort of personal connection. And I think no other fashion rental platform has really thought about it that way. So we wanted to lean into it more, especially given our business model, which is peer-to-peer marketplace. 
And it's been great. And even during lockdown, where we acquired 300% users during lockdown, when no one's renting clothes anyway. But the fact that we did that was because people were engaging on the app. You know, they were following each other. They were saving. They were they were saving uh, mood boards. So we kind of have this feature like Pinterest, where you can create like a mood board for Freedom Day, you know, 29th March, 2021. You've got your outfits, um, you know, you planned your outfits. All you need to do is press the rent button when you're ready to go. And things like uh, liking, saving, um, messaging each other, and obviously listing items. And then, you know, we built a couple of cool analytics tools as well. Um, so this is maybe less social, but it's really us giving back to the community in a very cost-efficient way because we do track data. We do, you know, look at analytics. We know which brands do well on the app. We know which colors do well on the app. We know which product category does well on the app. You know, that there's a whole... There's a wealth of information here that we're understanding about fashion consumption. And, you know, unlike other social networks, we, we want to share this with our users. So we created this um, dashboard called the Lender Activity Dashboard, where you can see your insights if you're lending on the app, how much money you've made since you start listing, uh, which are the top brands, you know, which colors. And we're going to build it out further so you can see which colors do really well for you. Um, you know, what's the total value of all your listings and the yield that you've made on it. So it's just making people much more strategic about what they actually own. And if they are going to buy something new, they're going to think twice or three times or four times about how many rentals they can get out of it. So it's really about thinking of your wardrobe as investments and valuing them and cherishing them and not buying five fast fashion dresses and, and saving up for that one high quality piece that you can also share with others. So that's something that I'm really excited and proud of. And then on the back of that, we did it the other way, which is uh, like Spotify, you know, where they have uh, Spotify wrapped. Uh, at the end of the year, it sort of shows you your top music, your top artists, all of that. So we did a buy rotation unwrapped 2021, which showed you all the positive savings you've made ever since you start using the app. So how much money you've saved, you know, what are the uh, positive um, carbon offsets that you've done just by renting rather than buying? And this is all, you know, it's free for us to, I mean, of, of course, making features is not free. You know, we've got our CTO and our tech team. But what I mean is it's such a cost-effective way to engage your users and make them feel, yeah, I, I don't mind spending half an hour, one hour on this app every day because I'm actually getting something back even if I don't end up renting or if I don't end up making any, any money off it. So yeah, I, I'm very excited about excited and proud of those features and I think that's how we really define ourselves as a tech company and social network first and foremost um, and then the whole fashion side of it comes later. Just leading on from that point as well you talked about even through lockdown a lot of the uh, interactions and activity on there was because of the fact that it's a social network that there is peer-to-peer -peer activity going on that obviously requires quite a large number of users on there to be able to interact with each other. And it's something that we actually talked about with one of the co-founders of the Dating App Thursday, is this idea of like a critical mm -hmm. mass of users on the platform to be able to to get the thing to work. Because, you know, if you go on a, uh, on, for example, on a dating app and there's no one to match with. And there's only five matches. Work, right? Yeah, exactly. Was there a similar moment for, for bio rotation? Was there like a critical mass moment where you could see a switch happen? Was it where, you know, it went from, not much activity to all of a sudden now it makes sense now there's this critical mass you know what i mean I, I remember in january 2020 so lockdown still hadn't happened i think we had maybe 700 listings and now we have over twenty five thousand listings 
And, you know, so you could feel that the choice was limited, especially in, in certain sizes, right? Like the really small sizes and the really, like, you know, the larger sizes. So you could feel that there was limited choice. But in a strange way, we're not like Airbnb and Uber, where people only have one car and they can only drive one car or they only have one extra apartment or house to lend out to host someone in. Some women on the app have over hundreds of listings. So we actually just need to find really quality lenders when we're talking about supply. And then the demand just comes from that. And, and I think, you know, we were lucky that we built out supply in a very um, considered way. You know, we didn't just go after celebrities, you know, and their wardrobes because they wouldn't, they're never going to fulfill these orders themselves. Let's be honest, you know, then you're going to have to do it for them. And the next thing you know, your renters are upset because these celebrities are not answering to rental requests. So we always went after women who actually really saw the value in sharing their clothes because they can make some money. Uh, and they felt very flattered that people wanted to wear their clothes and borrow their style. Um, and I think that really made a difference. But I don't think there was a, in a strange way, lockdown was helpful for us because there was no need to, people weren't renting clothes right away, but they were willing to list items on the app because they right. were doing spring cleaning, you know, the whole Marie Kondo effect and all of that. So we ended up building supply very organically because people were bored at home. And the next thing you know, it's 29th March, 2021. Everyone wants to go out and, and rentals are through the roof, you know, and, and I don't have any customer support. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so, so we are very lucky. Yeah, I would say. And, and not that COVID is a good thing. It's, it's a terrible thing. But I think we were lucky that we kept our focus on being a tech first community uh, and really getting people to engage with the app rather than thinking about having a warehouse and, you know, renting stuff out based on what's trending at the moment. Amazing. And I've got one last question. Well, actually, I've got two, because there's one question that I ask every guest, and I'll do that in a moment. Um, okay. But the last question I want to ask is, what is the future for BioRotation? Where are you going from here? Uh, well, we're going abroad, for sure. Right. So, you know, we're very scalable. We're very scalable when you talk about business model. You know, it's a social network. We just need communities in every different country and city that we go to. So we're going abroad, and we're going to be doing more cool things on the data and analytics front. And the app is going to continue to be even more of a social network. I think that's that's the very clear thing to us because it really works. And people have way too much stuff. They have way too many clothes and these need to be shared. Um, and they don't need to be particularly owned by a company and fulfilled by the company. Um, this can be done between people. And you're going to be using a similar marketing strategy for that? You're going to be looking for people specifically that you know have got like a really valuable um, collection of pieces that will be really valuable on the platform or have you got a different marketing strategy in mind for that global expansion i think i mean it's going to be a mix so we do have great brand awareness and of course you know london is the fashion capital um i want to say of europe probably even the world so it, we're very lucky that you know we're a london fashion tech startup so there's definitely a good name for us anyway mm. but i do think that we're gonna have to you know start building up communities grassroots in every new country and city we go to because Again, on the data front and the analytics front, you know, what really works in the UK, you know, like say brand mix might not work at all when we expand to France, for example. You know, French people dress differently from British people. So I think that's going to be really important, building out the grassroots community. But yeah, we'll continue to, um, you know, start deploying more cash towards things like performance marketing or in-person events and, you know, even cross-promotional uh, marketing with avenues where we can find this working professional millennial and get them on our app. Excellent. So my final question, like I said, I do ask this to, to every guest and it's more about you specifically, Ashita. So um, the question is, what quality do you feel that you have 
that without you feel you wouldn't succeed? Mm. Yeah, I think for me, and this reminds me of the Forbes questionnaire, um, I think it's tenacity. You know, as, as someone who was an international student in the UK, I'm an, I'm, I'm an immigrant in the UK. You know, I applied to over 160 graduate jobs when I graduated and, and ended up with an excellent job. But, you know, I, I had to fight very hard just to have a right to be in the country, you know, to have a working visa. And I think I love rejection. I think it makes me a much better person. I really figure out who I am and who I'm not and my values through that. And I think if you're going to be a startup founder, uh, you know, all, if you're doing something that's, you know, that's got a massive market, then you're probably in a very competitive space as well because everyone's trying to go after this big market. I think you just have to be really tenacious. You know, you kind of have to be a punching bag. You got to roll in with the punches, and yeah, and and I think it's tough because I think when you're a startup founder, the highs they're great, but the lows feel very, very low. I think it's not equal at all. So, yeah, you got to be committed, dedicated, and you just have to be very tenacious if this is what you want to do. And I don't think it's for everyone. I have those days, you know, where I'm like, oh, shit, why, why did I leave my, my successful career? But, yeah, you have those moments. Amazing. That's a fantastic Amazing. answer. Really good Thank to you talk so to much, you. guys. And hopefully we'll see your, your listings on there. Menswear. Come on, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Social. Make sure you subscribe to us so you're notified when an episode drops. And if you want to keep up with what we're doing at Campfire, make sure to follow us on the socials in the show notes. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode.